Let's open in prayer then. Father, thanks so much for a gorgeous day out. and um, Thank you for this time that we have to study. Open our hearts and minds and help us to understand what it is you would teach us. And we thank you, Father, for this, this wonderful day in Christ's name. Amen. Um, when we look at this, we have to ask itself first question. Why is it that Satan is so intent on t- attacking the church? And what do we mean by the church? We use the term church. The body of Christ. And when we mean body of Christ, what do we mean by that? Yeah, believers. So, when we talk about the church, we're talking about that assembly of called out believers, people who are truly born again, regardless of what physical church they attend, they attend the church. All right? But that invisible church, and by the way, we're going to study this when we get to the doctrine of the church. In the New Testament, you have the invisible church and the visible church, right? Who's part of the invisible church? When we talk about invisible church, what are we talking about? All believers. All believers of all ages, of all denominations. Anybody who is truly born again, who has come to Christ by faith alone, grace alone, Christ alone, they are part of the invisible universal church. We call that the universal church. All right? They are the body of Christ. And that's what you see in Colossians, Ephesians, things like that. The body of Christ. However, how is that invisible body of Christ manifested in this world? People. And people belong to churches. Alright? So, this church, Open Door, is an extension of the body of Christ on this earth. We are... If, if I, I hope all of us in here are true believers. And if we are, we are part of the invisible church. We're all part of that. But we're also part of this local assembly that manifests itself in the world, all right, as a visible component of that invisible church. All right? And Satan, his desire is to attack not only the invisible, but the visible. Because how do people know about the invisible church? They know about it by seeing the visible church. All right? So there's, there, there's those two concepts. And we'll, we'll look through that um, in greater detail. All right? But the, one of the reasons, one of the main reasons that Satan attacks the church is that we are Christ's body on this, in this world. Right? Now, who is Satan's number one enemy? Christ. All right? Christ. So, in order now, could Satan attack Christ? Well, on earth he could, but can Satan attack Christ now? No, all right. Christ is in heaven. Satan has access to heaven, but he cannot go there to attack Christ. So, who does he attack then? Us. He attacks the believers. He attacks those who name the name of Christ. Um, you can see this very clearly in, Rome, in Revelation 12, if we go there. In Revelation 12, there's a. This is uh, Revelation 12 is is sort of a, a bird's eye view, a 20,000 foot view of spiritual warfare from all of ages past. Um, and in verse 13, what's going to happen in the middle of the tribulation? The Satan is going to be cast out of heaven. In other words, he's going to lose access to heaven, and he's going to be confined to the earth. And look what it says in verse 13 of Revelation 12. And when the dragon saw that he had been thrown down to earth, he pursued the woman who had given birth to the male child. Now, I'm going to give you the answer to that. That is Israel, right? I'm going to give you the answer. I'm not going to have time to develop why that's the answer. I'm just going to give you the answer. Wouldn't you like the teachers to do that in school? Just give you the answer. So I'm giving you the answer. It's, It's Israel. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly from the serpent in the wilderness to the place where she is to be nourished for a time, times, and half a time. Three and a half years. All right? But then it says here, The serpent poured out water like a river out of his mouth after the woman to sweep her away with the flood. But the earth came to the help of the woman. The earth opened his mouth, swallowed the river that the dragon had poured from his mouth. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring, on those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testament of Jesus. Who are those? Believers of any kind. Believers. Now, this is the Antichrist. Antichrist, of course, is empowered by Satan. So since Satan can't get to Christ, and Satan can't get to these 
believers here who are apparently protected by God, who does he go after? Everybody else he can. And why does he do that? Because his time is short. Satan hates Christ. He hates him. With a hatred that began with the rebellion. And um, since he can't get after Christ, he can certainly go after Christ's church. Because Christ loves the church, right? Christ loves us. He loves the church. And he gave himself for it. And what better way to bring hurt on Christ than to attack that which Christ loves. Now, let's give a sort of a slight detour here. What does that say about us within the body of Christ? We're precious, but what should we never do? Huh? Hurt one another. Why? God loves us all. Why would we want to bring reproach on the name of Christ and hurt the church that Christ gave himself for? That, that, think about that next time you want to start a big church fight. Wait a minute. This is the body of Christ. Um, he gave himself for it. Christ cares about his people. Remember what it says, in, in, in fact, what it says in Matthew 18, it would be better for a millstone to be hung around your neck and you'd be dropped in the middle of the ocean than to offend one of these little ones who believe in me. Christ is very much interested in his body. He loves his body and Satan is going to go after it. In 2 Corinthians 12, 12-13, the body is one and has many members. It's one of the great metaphors of the New Testament on the church. It's a body. And just as your body has different pieces, parts in order to function, so the church has various pieces, parts in order to function. And we're all part of that. We're all part of God's church, both locally and universally. And we're all baptized into one body, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile, bond or free. What's he saying? It doesn't matter what denomination, or not denomination, it doesn't matter what your race is, it doesn't matter what your occupation is, it doesn't matter what your gender is. We're all one body. And Christ loves his church. And Satan is going to attack that which Christ loves. Ephesians 1, 22-23 talks about the body of Christ. What's the organizational structure of the church? Christ is the head and we're all members. There is no hierarchy in the universal church. Now, there may be in the local church you have various levels of organization in order to function, but in the universal body of Christ, when you get to heaven and you look at the org chart of the church, you've got Christ the head, and we all report directly to him. There's no differentiation. And, Christ, and Satan hates the church, and he's going to attack the church because we are Christ's extension on this world. Also, the church is the divinely ordained institution which is commissioned to win souls. Why did Christ leave you here when you became a Christian? So we can witness for him. Yeah, that's it, right? Say, why left me here so I can fellowship? Well, you know, I could fellowship a lot better in heaven than here, right? Admittedly. He left me here to worship. Well, you know, I could do that better in heaven than here. He left me here to develop a relationship with him. Well, I can do that better in heaven than here, right? What's the one thing I can't do in heaven that I can do here? Be a testimony and a witness. Yeah. You'll be witnesses starting in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, the uttermost part of the earth. Um, Christ left you here. To, and by the way, just so you understand, that's really the, the main reason that you're here now and not in heaven is so that you can be a testimony and a witness to those around you. That's why God left you here. That's why you're here. And this is the divinely ordained institution that, that God has set up in order to reach the lost with the gospel of Christ. Which means that if you do anything to sully the testimony of the church, what are you, in essence, doing? Think about that one. Think about that one. If you do something that destroys the testimony of the local church, what does that do to the testimony and the witness of that church sort of files it up, doesn't it? Makes it look bad. And unless the world say, yeah, right, you know, they're all, they're all hypocrites. I knew it all along. They're all hypocrites. They're all phonies. Um, and that's why Satan goes after the church because he wants to destroy our testimony. Both universally 
as individual Christians and locally as an assembly of believers. If Satan can come into church at the open door and make us look bad in the community, he's got a victory. He scored some points. And unfortunately, a lot of times we work, we help him out, don't we? We help him out. We cooperate with it. And we got to watch that. We got to watch that. Um, this, this, I remember a friend of mine who, who, um, who told me, he said, I, you know, I'd like you to pray for my lawyer. Like I said, I said, what lawyer? So, well, you know, I got a lawyer because, you know, I, I'm being sued for not paying some of my bills. And I'm witnessing to him. And it's like, why don't you just tell him you're a Mormon or a Buddhist or something else? I mean, why, why are you letting him know that you're going to this church? Don't you realize what it does to this church? Don't you understand? What's wrong? He didn't get it. You're making... If you're going to claim to be a Christian, then act like one, right? Don't, don't do this silly thing while I'm witnessing to my you know, pagan neighbor and you know, you've got a whole mess in your own life and you're dragging the name of Christ through the mud and somehow you think it's a badge of honor to do that. No, don't, don't do that. Don't, don't. Because see, here's the thing that the New Testament teaches very clearly. Your life, your, your character, your integrity is what gives validity to your witness. That's what gives validity to it. And if the world looks at you and sees that you're no different than they are, then why in the world would they want your Jesus? I heard on, on uh, WCRF the other day something that struck home sadly, and that is, don't judge Christianity by Christians, judge it by Christ. Yeah. Because unfortunately, if you judge it by Christians, you're going to get... That's going to be tough, isn't it? Unfortunately, uh, people don't look at it as we are. Yeah. Which is, yeah. Which is why... Which is why all of us as Christians need to really pay attention to our doctrine. I mean, yeah. I mean, Paul told Timothy, pay, take heed to yourself and to the doctrine so that you can save those, all right, who, who you speak to. Now, now, you say, well, how in the world is that? What does that mean? Paul is saying, your doctrine is important. You understand that. What you believe is an important thing. But what you live gives validity to what you believe. And you could say all, all day long, you could talk about Christ being the only way and, and bringing peace and, and, and fulfillment to life. And if your life is a total, absolute disaster and wreck, you're making Christ look bad. And that takes away from the testimony and the witness of the church. And that's why Satan particularly wants to attack Christians, to attack believers, to attack this, this church here and other churches like this. Because if he can make us look bad, he scored points. And there will be people in the, in the community who say, I would never go to that church because look who goes there. They claim the, claim the name of Christ, and yet I know from them from their work ethic that they are lazy, slovenly people, and I would never attend that church. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and it makes your, but it does make your witness tough, isn't it? Oh yeah. Makes your witness. I'm just sharing the story. I remember John MacArthur talked about some guy that came up to him after service, and he was a little visibly shaken. And and you know, he said, "What's wrong?" He said, "Well, you know, I was witnessing to a friend of mine who was a lawyer in Los Angeles, and uh, um, I've been witnessing for some time now. And he asked me where I went to church, and I said, "Well, I go to Grace Community Church." He said, oh, I'd never go there. He said, the crookedest lawyer in Los Angeles attends that church. And uh, John said, he remembers getting up the next Sunday, and he says, I don't know which one of you out there is the crookedest lawyer in L.A., but I'd rather you not come to this church. All right? Because what does it do? What is it, what, that man, what is, what is his view of Christianity now? Or of Grace Community Church? It's a hustle. And there are people, I want to tell you something right now, folks. There are people in this community that think open door is a big bunch of phonies because they ran into an open door person that didn't act like a Christian. 
And that's why we all need to really pay attention to this. Because it is, it is important. When you go out there and you act, you know, we have this whole concept, well, you know, I can do my own thing, it doesn't matter as long as I'm not hurting anyone. Wait, wait a minute. People are forming a, a view of God and of this church based on your actions. Good or bad. And what kind of, you know, image do you want to present? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's why that's why Satan has his angels of light. Who are they? They come in. They look like Christians. They act like them sort of a little bit. They make the you know the the external show of being one, but inside they are a ravenous wolf. They are an angel of Satan, not an angel of light. He infiltrates. And that, by the way, you know, that's, that's the whole message of the parable of the tares, right? Christ comes along and he sows his seed, which is wheat. And what happens at night? The enemy comes along and sows tares. And you can't tell the difference between a, a tare and a stalk of wheat until the seed comes. They're growing up, they look like the same thing, the same plant. You can't tell them apart. But there comes a separation. All right? Another reason that Satan attacks the church is the repository and guardian of divine truth. Um, 1 Timothy 3.15 is the key verse in 1 Timothy. It says, But if I tarry long, I want you to know how you ought to behave yourself in the house of God, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. The church is the repository of divine truth. Where do you go to find the truth of the word of God? You go to the church, which is the repository and the guardian of divine truth. In the New Testament, the church was the guardian of the once delivered to the saints' faith. And that's one of the duties of the church is to uphold the purity of the doctrine. Now that's bad, that's sort of not a, that's, in, in our pluralistic age, that's not seen as a good thing. Ah, oh, you guys are always quibbling over minor points of doctrine. Well, you know, there are some doctrines that we can argue and fight over, aren't there? But there are some things that there's just, there's no argument, there's no, fight. You follow up the personal work of Christ, you don't go to heaven. It's as simple as that. It doesn't matter what else you believe. You won't go to heaven. And the church is the guardian of that. And if, if Satan can attack the church and ruin the testimony of the church, what can he do to the truth? He can convert it. He can, he can twist it. And what you see is, 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 if you do anything in history, you can see the institutionalizing of the so-called Christianity and when Constantine came along and we have the sort of the beginnings of the Catholicism and the Church Universal and he ruined the the doctrine of the justification by faith alone. And there are millions of people in hell right now because they were part of a local visible church and they did their things and they went to do their duties every Sunday or whatever and they had no concept of what it meant to be a Christian and he had destroyed the truth. He got it twisted. He got it mixed, watered down. And when you... It doesn't take a whole lot of poison to kill you, does it? Alright? So you need... You can eat something that's 99.9% pure. That's that little 0.01% that will kill you. And the church is the guardian of that. So, so there's a very real sense in which one of the duties of the church is to guard the truth. Guard the once delivered to the saints' faith. Jude 1.3 talks about that. Jude said, I want to write about our common salvation. It was more necessary for me to tell you to guard the truth of the Word of God. And the truth they're talking about is the person and work of Christ. The centrality of the Gospel. That's, that's what we are to guard. That's what we are to defend. And when we don't defend that, what happens to the second and third generation down the line? They don't have it. They don't have it. You see this happen time and time again in, in the Old Testament. You have Moses and all the people come out of the promised land and, and they go through the Red Sea and they're delivered by God and they're sustained by God and they conquer the land. And two generations later, all of Israelites are in total paganism because the grandkids didn't catch on to what the grandparents had because there wasn't any repository of truth. We didn't guard the truth. And that's why, for example, in the Old Testament it says you parents are to teach your children who can teach others. You're to pass that on. All right? But Satan will attack the church because we 
are the repository of truth. And he wants to destroy that, destroy our credibility. The church is the divinely ordained institution through which the saints are edified for the work of the ministry. Why do you come to church every morning or every Sunday? You come to be edified. You come to be built up. Right? You come to be encouraged. I'm encouraged when I'm around other Christians. This is the highlight of my week. Being here with believers who love and know the Lord and who want to study the Word of God and want to be encouraged. And Hey, you know, this is the highlight of my week coming here. This isn't some drudge that I have to do on Sunday morning. I enjoy it. We are to be built. And, and that's one of the things that the church does. We encourage one another. We admonish one another. We build up one another. We edify one another. We support one another. We cry with one another. We laugh with one another. This is a body. This is a group of believers that come together for mutual submission and mutual encouragement, mutual growth. And if Satan can get discord in there, what can he do? He can destroy that. Remember in Proverbs it says some of the six things the Lord hates, seven are abomination to him. And remember what a couple of those are, a lying tongue and he that sows discord among the brethren. Let me tell you something, folks. It is a very, very, very serious thing to sow discord in the church. It is a very serious thing. It destroys the unity of the body of Christ. And a lot of times that is done over personal petty things. I've seen it many a time. Because of the truth of that, but also because it's not good to church hop all the time, every time you get a little ticked off. The better of the two, is it the better of the two to move your membership elsewhere rather than being a bad thing? Yeah, somebody asked me that. I was talking to, I think Dan, we were talking about this, and you know, he, he, we were talking about, you know, when is it time to leave a church? When is it time to leave a church? And uh, if I told him if I were going to write a book in my life, it would be stupid reasons people leave churches. And um, some of the stupid reasons is, you know, personality. You know, I didn't get to sing my solo like I wanted to. Or, you know, I, didn't, I don't go along with Mrs. McKillicuddy or something like that. Look, folks, that's stupid reasons to leave the church. We're a body. What does that mean? We're committed to one another. We're committed to the members of our church. We're committed to them. All right? Um, when would I leave a church? I would leave a church if a church falls into gross doctrinal error, if they deny the deity of Christ. If they deny some great fundamental doctrines, it's time to go. Um, if I can't serve in a church, if I'm told, you know, just shut up, sit in the pew, give us your offering, and don't do anything, why would I go to that church if I can't minister, you know? Um, there are some reasons, but most, most of the reasons people leave churches are petty. They're petty reasons. I don't like this, or I don't like that, or, you know, I, I didn't like the way the pastor preached on Sunday morning, or, you know, there's all kinds of other reasons we leave. But when we're part of the body of Christ, there's a commitment to it, and we work through those differences. We should, right? And there's nothing wrong, we're not saying here you're not allowed to disagree. We're saying don't cause splits and divisions. That's the point. No. No. And we fall into that because of our pride. We fall into that because of our pride. And I've seen people do that because of some prideful, arrogant, you know, thing that they got. They cause discord and leave and, you know, and then, and then the problem is when they go somewhere else, they badmouth where they came from. So in order to make them look good, look, folks, you don't need that. All right, you don't need that. If, you, if it gets to the point where you're uncomfortable worshiping here, go somewhere else. That's all right. There's nothing wrong with that. But don't badmouth and trash where you came from because we're all part of the body of Christ and you make Christ look bad and Satan wins. He scores points. And, and the world is looking at you and saying, well, why in the world do I want to do that? I remember reading or listening somewhere where there was a church split that was so bad in some little small little town. It was so bad that the men got a chainsaw and they cut the church in two and carried their part of the... Now, can you imagine the newspaper the next day while you're, you're looking out the window and half the church is being... Carried right. Yeah, there's a problem there. Okay. 
the church is to be an example of Christian unity and fellowship. We're to be an example of that. What does it mean to be unified? It doesn't mean you agree on every little thing, does it? Right? But what it does mean is where there are disagreements, how do you handle them? In a Christ-like way. And what's the Christ-like way according to Philippians 2? Let this mind be to think others more highly than yourself. You know, I, and I've, I, I, I remember talking to a person and they say, uh, many years ago, and they said, well, Alan, when are you leaving Open Door? That was the question, when are you leaving? And I asked him, I said, why should I leave? Well, you know, there's some things that, you know, you and David Walls disagree on. Why, why, why don't you leave? And I say, well, am I going to agree where I'm going necessarily, right? I mean, we're, we agree on all the essentials. We, we, okay, so he doesn't dot his eye there like I do, but that's all right. That's okay. I don't have to agree with everything. I have to, we have to agree on the essentials. But, you know, folks, unless you start your own church, you're not going to agree with the pastor on everything. You realize that. You're, you, you're not. So what do you do? You learn to defer. You learn to, 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 to just put up with, you know, not put up in a, in a negative sense, but you tolerate differences. You, it's all right to do that. Yeah. And you can do that agreeably. And, and I've never had, uh, to be honest, I've never had a problem with any of the pastors of Open Door, even though, you know, maybe we don't agree on every minor little point of technical theology, we certainly agree on the essentials and we fight for those. Yeah, you're going to... I, I, I don't know if I can say it right, so I'm not. <laughs> All right. Well, I remember, you know, I remember a lot of people leaving Open Door over some minor little point of doctrinal difference. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Yeah, into some big thing, you know. Yeah, it's outrageous. And folks, you know, part of body life, part of a, part of a family, you need to learn to get along with one another. That, that's part of maturity, you know. And I remember telling this person, you know, no matter where I go, it's not going to be any better necessarily than where I left. Unless, now again, we're not talking about, we're talking about minor points of theology. We're not talking about essentials of the truth. We're talking about minor points of theology. And Satan is very good at getting it split up and, and going here and going there. And quite honestly, how can you develop a ministry in a church if you church hop? You know, if you're there for two years, gone, there for two years, gone, there for two years, gone, then you go back to where you came from, there and somebody kicks you off, then you go somewhere else and, you know, you're members of 50 churches in 25 years. What kind of testimony is that? You, and I've learned a long time ago, it doesn't have to be done my way. It doesn't, really. It, it doesn't. I don't need it done my way. And that's part of what it means to be part of the body of Christ is that you learn to defer. You learn to esteem others better than yourselves. You learn to give up your rights because there's a bigger thing that we need to be um, concerned with, which is the image of the body of Christ. We're to be an example of unity and fellowship. When people look at Open Door, they should see how they love one another. That was the moniker of the early church, right? How they love one another. Now look at the average church today. How do we love one another? Somebody falls into sin and hits the gossip line and before long their entire reputation is destroyed. Boy, that's really... Somebody said, you know, you get more sympathy down at the local bar than you do at the church. They're better at that, you know. There should, that shouldn't be the case. That should not be the case. We need to be, we, we need, you know, someone said the church is the only one that shoots its wounded. And there's a reality to that. Because we like to make ourselves out to be something. And, well, that person, oh, I'd never do what that person did. And I, I remember that. I remember dealing with that. Well, I'd never do that, you know. Kick them out. Well, you know, what, do you, what kind of attitude is that? That's not, that's not the attitude of a Christ-like person. The church is Christ's special object of love. In fact, it says marriage is an example of that. His husbands are to love their wives and die for them. Do you realize that Christ died for this church? Christ died for you. He died for the members of this church who are part of the universal body because He died for us. He loves us that much. Why in the world would we want to hurt that which God loves, right? 
God loves, Christ loves the church. Why would we, if we love Christ, and this is something, if I love Christ, what am I going to love? What he loves. And we need, I think a lot of us Christians, we need attitude adjustment in this. We need an attitude adjustment. Yeah. If, starting with myself, but I think if we really realize the truth of that statement that Christ died for me, Christ died for the individual, it would mean even more to us, or it would mean more to us than it does. I mean, we know that in our head, and we try to know it in our heart and soul, but it really is profound when you really realize, had I been the one occupant of the world, he would have done what he did. Mm-hmm. Christ died for every other Christian. How can I not love them? I mean, that's what John says in First John, right? How can you love God whom you've not seen if you can't love your brother whom you have seen? That's a no-brainer. If you love Christ, you're going to love that which Christ loved. Christ loves the church. We are to love one another. We are to love them. doesn't mean we can't disagree. It doesn't mean there are not those times where there are disagreements and we need to deal with maybe sin or confront other Christians, but we confront them how? In love. Not with a censorious attitude, but we confront them because we love them. It's Christ's special object of love. The church is a special place of protection and encouragement for believers. Um, one of the things in, in Hebrews, it talks about not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. And why is that? Because we need one another. Fellowship. We need that. Um, the story goes of a pastor who went to visit one of his parishioners who had not been to church in a long time. And the guy says, well, you know, I don't really need to be in church. You know, I can worship God anywhere I go. I don't need to really be around other Christians. And while I was talking, the pastor took a, an ember that was in the fire and he moved it off to the side. And after a while, what happened? It died out. And then he moved that ember back closer to the fire and what happened again? started up again. That's a good illustration. We need to be around other Christians. All right. A great factor of my own spiritual life, maturity, and development is the fact that I'm around other believers. And I have a responsibility to other believers. And sometimes when I'm tempted to go off and do something just to do something, I say, well, now, wait a minute. If I do that, how's it going to look? You say, Alan, I thought you were more godly than that. No, I'm not more godly than that. Neither are you. We need, we need those correctives. We need to realize that we represent something bigger than ourselves. And we're accountable. We need that. That's a necessary thing, and that's why we need one another. I'm sorry. Um, in your Hebrews uh, outline, there, or, uh, mm-hmm. uh, the fourth line down says, Some is, but some exhorting one to another, or one another. Exhorting. Could you give me a definition of exhorting? Exhorting really means to encourage, to. to yeah, it's an encouragement kind of thing. When you're around other Christians, you're encouraged. To be a better Christian, you're encouraged, you're, you're um, challenged all right, in your spiritual life. Um, the, the New Testament doesn't know anything of uh, the concept of a Rambo Christian, you know, one that goes off into the wilds of South Vietnam or whatever and goes and beats up the enemy. There's no such concept. We all are members of one another. We need one another in a very real sense. We need each other. All right, and that's part of what we talk about in spiritual gifts. Your spiritual gift is needed by the body of Christ to further all right, the, the testimony of the church. Satan, how does Satan attack the church? Okay, we know why Satan attacks the church. Now, how does he do it? How does Satan, how does Satan accomplish this? Well, number one, he attacks the church through false teaching. He gets people who come in either from the outside, right? Or who come up from the inside and they begin to teach false doctrine. All right? Now, I've, I've weren't, probably three of my favorite books in the Bible is 1st, 2nd Timothy, and Titus, the pastoral epistles. And one of the key phrases in those pastoral epistles is sound doctrine. Again and again, you see sound doctrine. And sound there, hygienes, means healthy. Healthy doctrine. And Paul defines, well, what is healthy doctrine? 
How do I know that my doctrine is a healthy doctrine? Well, healthy doctrine produces godly character. It produces Christ-like attitudes. It produces the fruit of the Spirit. So, if somebody comes in and what they are producing in their teaching is not godliness, not a Christ-like spirit, not humility, and not the fruit of the Spirit, what are they? They're a false teacher. That's a no-brainer, folks. That, you don't need to think on that. You don't need a theology degree to figure that out. Sound doctrine produces godly character, produces people who are humble, who are Christ-like, who love the Lord, who love one another. And if you're part of a assembly or a group of people where that is not being taught or where people are not teaching that, those are false teachers. You need to stay away from them. Yeah. And, and it says here, in the last times... Some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons. Doctrines of demons. And again, the question I ask, where did Mormonism come from? Because Joseph Smith figured that up on his own? He's not bright enough. Nobody's bright enough to figure that up on their own. That comes from a demon. It's demonic. And it leads people into error. And Satan attacks the church by bringing in his disciples, his teachers, his people who are, look like ministers of light. I mean, you look at them and wow, you know, they're ministers of light. But inwardly they are not at all. They're not ministers of light at all. This happened in, by the way, in Acts. Remember in Acts, Acts 8. Acts 8, they have the great uh, revival up in Samaria, right? And who comes to know the Lord in Acts 8? Simon Agus, right? He comes forward, he signs the card, he prays the prayer. He gets baptized. And he becomes a member of the church. And then Peter shows up. And if you remember what happened, Peter lays hands on the Samaritans. They receive the gift of tongues. And what does Simon Magus want to do? Buy that gift. Buy that. That's, a, that's a cool... You know, I can make some big money on that one. And how does Peter respond? O fall of all subtly and mischief, thou child of the devil. Peter saw right through him. What was Simon? Was he a Christian? No. But he looked like it. That's the tear business, folks. And a lot of times the problem in churches is you've got tears. You've got people who claim Christ, who look like a Christian. They're members, but... They're not. They're not true believers. They're not true Christians. And Satan tries to infiltrate his agents into the church. And what happened in Acts very clearly is Simon Magnus was seen very quickly as to being what he really was. And church history says he became a great enemy of the church. But Satan tries to get his guys in there because then he can infiltrate it with false teaching. Um, I agree, but I'm going to ask kind of a devil's advocate kind of question for lack of a better okay could it be that Simon Magus thought he was a Christian but just had this entrepreneurial heart (laughs) well yeah well that's a good question but I think if you look at the context of Acts 8 Peter says he called him a child of the devil that's 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 sort of a give that's sort of a dead giveaway there and he said you better Pray and hope that God grants you repentance. All right? And then from church history we know, outside of Acts, outside of the book of Acts, from church history we know that Simon Magus became a great enemy and a great persecutor of the church. All right? So I think there's hints within the text, but you're right. If all we had was Acts, we may be led to believe that. But from church history we know he became a great enemy. And see what Satan... And, and look how, how it works in Acts... Acts chapter 5, what does Satan try to do? He tries to get Ananias as a fire to lie, right? He tries to get lying into the church to destroy it. Well, that doesn't work, right? Because God kills him. Then in Acts chapter 6, he tries the vision, right? He gets the widows to start complaining that they're being left out of the daily um, distribution of food. So he tries the vision, and that's dealt with. And then in Acts 7, what does he try? Persecution, right? He has Stephen martyred. And then in Acts 8, what does he try? Well, we'll, we'll infiltrate... I'll get my agent inside the church, inside the leadership. 
See, it's, it's interesting when you look at it from the 20,000 foot level, Satan is attacking the church by trying to destroy it. And the way you destroy it is you send your guy inside and work from the inside. He's going to attack the church through false teaching, which is why the church needs to deal with the purity of the gospel. And that is why, and that is one of the great problems in our pluralistic age because when you have somebody stand up and makes a strong stand for the truth, there are well-meaning Christians that don't get as to what they're so excited about. You know, why can't they just be, you know, why, why are you so upset about that? You know, just let's all get along. Can't we all just get along? And, and, and they're well-meaning Christians who don't understand that when you lose the truth, you've lost it all. You've lost it all. And again, there are things that we should be fighting over. There are things that we should not be fighting over. But, but when it comes to the centrality of the gospel message, justification, Christ, we have to fight for that. And we can't let Satan win. Yeah. But what happened is you had another group come into town that were doing, in his mind, tricks as well, right? Healing, miracles. So I need to get with this group and find out how they're doing it so I can add to my repertoire of tricks. Yeah. That's just some of the, some of the things that they were teaching. Um, one of the things that was part of the mystery religions in those days was they had temple prostitutes. That, um, that The idea there is that you commune and worship with God through having sex with sort of temple prostitutes. That was a common way of worship in those days, which would explain why it was a popular religion. Um, and that was carried over, unfortunately, a lot into um, Catholicism. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he was afraid of that initially. But again, when you look at church history, he became a great enemy of, of the Christian faith. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, Paul talks about those who teach that godliness is great gain. Now that will destroy your enjoyment of TBN. It should. To teach godliness is great gain. It's not all about money. Yeah. But he attacks the church through false teaching. He will get his guys in there, and that's why when we fight for the truth, we're really fighting on the front line. He attacks the church through false teachers. Not only does he get false doctrine there, but he'll bring his false teachers in there. And Paul says this in Acts 20, I know that after I leave, grievous wolves will enter in, not sparing the flock. And there, there's two places that these wolves come from. One is the outside. They come in from the outside to attack. But he said, even from your own members, there are going to be people that rise up from within, all right, that do not spare the flock. These are false teachers. There are people that grow up in churches that turn into being false teachers. They've never been born again. They've never been saved. They've never been redeemed. They've grown up in the church, but they've become great enemies of the church. And he said, I warned you night and day with tears that this is going to happen. Satan will attack the church through false teachers, through false teaching. That's one of his best ways to get his false prophets in there to distort and destroy the gospel. And if we're not on the alert, if we're not dealing with that on a very serious and a, a very you know, energetic level, he's won the day. First Timothy, 2 Timothy 4, 3-4, the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. What's sound? What does sound mean? Healthy. Does the church today tolerate healthy doctrine? I'm talking about the church as a whole. No, it doesn't, right? What does it want? Tickle my ears. Scratch my ears. Tell me what I want to hear. Yeah. 
Joel Osteen. You know, and by the way, just so you know, that's how Robert Schuller started his church. He did, he did a survey of his community to find out what people wanted to hear. And he gave it to them. I'm not making that up. He gave it to them. You can build a big church. Tell people what they want to hear. Scratch their ears. Itch their ears. Make them feel good. And you'll have a big church. Ah, the Joel Osteen Study Bible. Yeah, you really need that. I'm sorry, Sammy, you're... Right. Yeah, it's not a parallel. Yeah, and again, what Paul's doing—he's not laying out, you know, all 550 different false teachings. He's given some representative examples of that. All right. And 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 again, how do you know a false teacher? Well, anybody who denies the centrality of the message of the gospel is a false teacher. Satan attacks the church through persecution, doesn't he? Now, this doesn't really work all that well, ultimately, does it? I mean, you know, you try to persecute the church and it scatters and that, that doesn't help you any. Because now you've got Christians all over the place instead of in a localized spot, right? But you see this begin, for example, in Acts chapter 7, where a great persecution broke out against the Christians in Jerusalem. We have the stoning of Stephen, remember, who was stoned. And what happened to the Christians, they were scattered throughout the empire. They, they went all over the place. So that didn't really work well. You look at, for example, the church in China who was greatly persecuted and yet there are tremendous believers in China over the, over the, you know, the many years since that persecution broke out. Persecution really doesn't make it. But Satan's hatred against the church is so great that he wants to persecute believers. And you know what? In the, you need to understand this. Persecution by and large, if you line up all of the Christians who have ever lived, the normal experience of all of them has been persecution. We're, we're a, a small minority that have not been persecuted in this country. All right? And somehow we have this theology that says, if I'm being persecuted, that's a bad thing. I'm not, I don't have enough faith, whatever, yada, yada, yada. Look, it's a normal part of the Christian life. Yeah, I'm sorry, Nancy. Um, I think a lot of times the fear of persecution Yeah. Yeah, we're afraid. You know, what's our persecution? Well, you know, somebody snickered at me when I prayed over my lunch. Now, come on, folks. I mean, Paul got beat for that kind of stuff. You know, he got beat with rods. He was shipwrecked a night and a day, spent in the deep. Yeah. Persecution is a normal part of the Christian experience. We've been blessed in this country because we have not been persecuted for our faith. But who's to say it's not going to begin someday? All right? The world is supposed to hate us. They're supposed to because we have a message that goes contrary to what the world values. Of course they're going to hate. You know, I, it, you know the whole big Miss California fop. You know? What do you expect? They're supposed to. Why are you shocked? There's no shock there. Of course the world's going to hate us. going to hate our views. going to hate Christ. But the reaction to that is such an obvious sign that the lie that the world gives of being tolerant is just that a lie. It is. Because if they were truly tolerant, 
She has a right to her opinion, just like yeah. I do. Go to the most tolerant place in Lorraine County, Oberlin College campus, and tell them you're a Christian, and you will find out just how tolerant, tolerant people are. And it's not just telling them you're a Christian, because the strong aspect of the enclave of Christians at Oberlin is just that strong. they got no choice. Yeah. But it, it's not so much telling them you're a Christian, it's the literal discussion of the whole gay agenda thing yeah. that she is just being lambasted for. And it's, it's so obvious that they are not preaching their own, they're not living by their own no, message of tolerance. Situation. Yeah. Situational tolerance. Believe anything you want, just don't disagree with me, and we're all right. All right. I, I'm not. That, that's sort of facetious, but yeah, that's that's a true. That's a true. I mean, what was the what was the professor? Was it Mickelson or uh, Mylander? Gil Mylander, who was quoted in the what is it, the Wall Street Journal, who just quoted research that stated that children who live in gay families um, have more psychological, mental, emotional issues than those who grow in a normal, um, traditional family. And, they, and the, whole, the students wanted to run him out of town on a rail. They wanted him to be fired and lose his tenure. And all he was doing is quoting research. He, I don't even think he was a Christian. He's just quoting what the research is. That shows how tolerant this is. But you know what, folks? It's par for the course. Don't get upset about it. Just get used to it. Yeah. And And as Christians, what should our response be? Look, it's part of the plan. Right? God is in control. God is in charge. God is allowing these things to affect His eternal purpose. So what are you all bothered about? And our trust really has to be in Him and not believe in our country anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I don't trust either political party. You know, um, he attacks the church through division and gossip. Boy, this is a biggie. We're all familiar with this one, aren't we? How many of us have been part of this? Division and gossip. You raised your hand, didn't you? Yeah. But all of us should raise our hand, shouldn't we? Now, again, we're not talking here about normal, familial debates or discussions about different things. Alright? That, that, that's just a normal part of family life where you have disagreement. The Bible says we are to be of one mind. It doesn't say we are to think alike. What it means by that is that we all have the same goals. We want to see the success of the church. We want to see the success of the mission. We want to see the gospel proclaimed. That's what we're, that's what we're singularly behind. And we might have debates on how best to do that and how best to do this or how best to do that. And, and how we go about doing different things. But, but folks, we're not to gossip and divide. This is one of the big, big problems in the Corinthian church. Remember Paul wrote them very early, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He said, some of you guys say you're of a Paul. You've got, you got the Apollos crowd. You've got these different cliques. And some of you say you're a Peter, you're a Paul, you're of Apollos. And others say, well, we're of Christ. He says, you're all carnal. You're all a bunch of little snotty-nosed kids that are bickering about who you're following. He says, look, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you. Because that is just not what it's all about. There's, there's to be a real unity in the body of Christ. This is something that is really a serious thing. And when you gossip and slander other Christians, and when you pass around stories, and you become part of this division, you are playing right into the enemy's hands. And I've seen it happen in this church again and again and again by people who think they're standing. I love it. Well, I'm just standing for the truth. No, you're not. You're, you're causing division. You need to do what it says in Philippians chapter 2. If it's not essential, what do you do? You're to defer your rights. You're to defer what you would like to do. If I was the pastor of this church, I might do a lot of things differently. But, you know, I'm not the pastor of this church. That's not what God's called me to be. And so what am I to do? I'm to support the ministry and mission of this church. That's, and, and I agree with that, right? Now, there might be some practical ways in which we work that out that I may or may not do 
the same way, but that's all right. That's, that's fine. That's, that's okay. I learned to defer. I learned to give up my rights. That's a very healthy thing to do. That's a mature thing to do, isn't it? What makes a strong marriage? A strong marriage is made by two people going in and saying, I'm going to defer my rights. I'm going to defer my rights in little things, you know. Instead of taking my bath at, 10, at 11.30, i got to take it at midnight because Donna takes a shower at 10.30 or 11.30 and uses up all the hot water. She always does that. Just before I'm ready to take a bath, she needs to take a shower and use up all the hot water. But you learn to defer, you know. You just learn to, that's all right. I can do that. I'm, I'm big. I'm a big boy. I can, I can yeah. defer my right. Yeah. And we learn to do that. We, but we don't do that in the church. In the church, we want to stand up for what we want. And that's, not, that's, not, that's playing in the Satan's hands. He attacks the church by causing it to become severe and unloving. You've seen this before, haven't we? Anybody lived through the Sherman Britain years? Sherman Britain? Remember him? Yeah, our, our, the, the head of the music that had the yeah, affair. And I, I remember talking to people saying, you know, I want his head on a pike next morning on, right on the stage, you know, head on a pike. Wait a minute. I mean... You know, he asked for, don't, don't we forgive? No, we And they left the church. Which, when I say, you know, don't let the door hit on the way out. You know. And they went down the road to another church, and now, now they went to another church. So, the whole point is, look folks, we are to forgive one another. When there's repentance, we are to forgive one another. Now, we may have to discipline people in the church, right, who refuse to be, to, to repent. They refuse to deal with correction. That's a different issue. But if someone is repentant, we are to forgive. That's what we're called to do. Christ forgave you of how much? Yeah, so who are you to not forgive somebody? Satan. Yeah. Um, severe and unloving. Reminds me driving in this morning listening to Paul Tartarell how he was at a, uh, a restaurant with a friend, a guy, a friend, anyway, and how the waiter... Uh, according to the guy's friend, was very obviously gay. And so he was kind of being snarky to the waiter and so forth and so on. And Paul jacked him up about it. Because that's okay. Sometimes we Christians have a hard time separating sin from sin. Yeah. If you're ever going to reach them, it's not any individual's job to try to save everybody anyhow. No. But it is every individual's job to try to love everybody in a How did Christ treat the woman who's taken in adultery? Thank you. He forgave her. How about the woman who came in and broke the alabaster box? with a perfume who was a prostitute. And remember the Pharisees? If he knew what kind of woman this was, he would yeah. kick her in the face and throw her out of the house. Stop and think about that. Now, that doesn't mean we tolerate sin, does it? We're not talking about tolerating sin. We're talking about if someone is repentant, we need to forgive as Christ is forgiven. We need to love them. We're not to be intolerant and hateful. It, it's like I remember the one, the one I guess church that comes to mind, the God Hates Fags Church. I'm not making that up. There's a website called GodHatesFags.org or com. And uh, that's their moniker. They, they hate. Wait a minute. I hate the sin, folks, but you know what? I'm glad God loves a sinner because I was one a sinner one time, wasn't I? Two more things. God, or Satan attacks the church by causing its members to sin. What does it do? It destroys the testimony of the church. When you fall into sin, it makes the church look bad. What happened to Christianity when, Tag, when it found out that Ted Haggard had a boyfriend on the side? You know, the guy that had the National Association of Evangelicals. What is it? Oh, yeah, right, yeah, they're all hypocrites. They're, the, they're just all hypocrites. Yeah. And it makes them feel good because it says, well, I can sin because if they sin, I can sin. It doesn't matter. They, it makes them, the world feel good. And finally, Satan attacks the church by sowing tares. He gets his people in. He, he infiltrates it with his own folks. And it destroys the testimony of the church. Um, folks, we need to understand that the church is a very precious thing in Christ's mind. He died for this church. He died for every one of us in here. And he cares about every one of us in here. And he takes very seriously... 
any attack on his body. And I don't want to be one of those that is attacking his body by falling into sin, by sowing discord, by teaching false doctrine, by gossip, by slander. I don't want to be part of that. And I don't think any of us in here want to be part of that either. So next time you get a piece of juicy gossip, think about how it's going to affect the body of Christ. It's a serious thing. Any comments or questions here? Okay. Well, next week we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6 so you can do your homework ahead of time. Father, thank you so much for this day and I pray that you would help us all in here to be very aware of how Satan attacks your body and how he attacks your church. I I pray that we wouldn't be part of that. That um, all of us in here would have a renewed understanding and a renewed commitment to that which you love most, which is your body, your your church. We just thank you again, Father, for teaching us in this hour together in Christ's name. Amen.